Brian Kemp begins a second term with a no-frills agenda. I believe now more than ever, Georgia's best days are ahead of us. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate us and review us because it really helps us grow the show. It's been such a busy week in Georgia politics between the start of the legislative session, the eggs and issues breakfast, the inauguration of Governor Kemp. And it's been so great to see so many of our listeners out and about all over Atlanta at these different political events. Uh, In today's episode, we're going to dive deeper into Governor Kemp's inauguration speech, his second term agenda. We're also going to talk about his trip to Davos. And Patricia, we have a special guest. We're going to talk to noted urologist Matt Sand about the life cycle of a kidney stone. I was hoping we were going to talk about that. that. I didn't get enough um, information about your um, organs the last time around. So um, I look forward to um, that doctor's insight. Thank you so much for for taking the time to do that. Yeah, that was a joke, but we will be delving right back into politics. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Patricia, it was a busy, busy day, especially on Thursday, as it probably was more like a thousand people packed into the Georgia State Convocation Center, which is brand new. I've never been there before. I graduated high school at the old Georgia State Arena. Uh, I would have loved to have graduated at a nice, fancy arena like this one to hear not only Governor Kemp get sworn into office, but every statewide officer. It was a rare joint session of the General Assembly out at Georgia State. And we heard a speech that to me at least sounded uh, a lot like the speeches he delivered on the campaign trail. Let's listen. We will invest state dollars by putting them back in your pockets, not using them to build new bureaucracy. We will keep our foot on the gas by bringing good paying jobs and greater opportunity to every corner of the Peach State. We will ensure that our kids have the resources they need to overcome learning loss and find success in the classroom instead of teaching them what to think. I completely agree. This is just so consistent and so on brand for Brian Kemp. We have been hearing from him the last year, year and a half while he has been running for election. And then even before that, really significant focus on economic issues, on issues of crime and safety. And we heard all about that again 
in this speech, what was so interesting to me, along with all of those workforce development um, details that he added, he also called for a $2,000 pay raise for all state employees, including teachers and K through 12 professionals, anybody in the building. Um, There really was not a whole lot of conversation about social issues. Um, We didn't hear anything about um, sort of the typical social issues that we get from Republicans, including anything on guns, the Second Amendment, life, abortion. Um, It was really all very narrowed down, whittled down to these two pieces. One, One reason is because he already got those big wins in his first term mm-hmm. and uh there's not much left to do to be honest with you uh, they they've uh, tightened and loosened those restrictions just about as much as a governor and a legislature can but also i think this really reflects the space where kemp is really interested and in looking to leave his mark and his legacy on the state he talked about making georgia the capital of electric vehicles, of uh, batteries, sort of the Detroit of EVs. He didn't say that. I just said that. Um, But you can really feel that he is looking for a legacy issue. It's going to be an economic issue. And then we also he also talked a lot about the last four years. These have just been hard four years for anybody who has been on the globe, quite frankly. It's been especially difficult for leaders, for governors, mayors, everybody dealing with COVID, everybody dealing with the civil unrest around the country. The Kemp family in particular also had a family tragedy. And then Kemp and his family also just on the wrong end of a gigantic feud with Donald Trump. And I just looked at that family and thought, man, they have really, really been through four years of um of hell in a lot of cases however you know there they are up there um talking together sitting together and looking forward to another term for governor kemp they've been through a lot and they have the scars to show it let's listen to a clip from governor kemp talking about that i also know that over the last four years my hair has gotten grayer my face has more wrinkles And as you know, my family and I have taken our fair share of arrows. But I cannot be more proud of how resilient Marty, Jarrett, and Amy Porter were during those times, just like our fellow Georgians were. And Patricia, let's be clear. I mean, four years ago, he also didn't use his inaugural speech to talk about uh, you know, expanding guns or restricting abortion. So it doesn't mean that he won't take on maybe not those issues in particular, but other big issues. And he still has the state of a state address later on this month where he will highlight more of his legislative agenda. But for now, we're seeing a sort of no frills, no drama, rather modest agenda. And that's not necessarily a criticism. There's a lot of Republicans in particular would say a scaled back agenda is a good thing. Uh, you know, those, those Republicans who support limited government like the governor. Um, but what he did talk about, you mentioned some of it already, promised to raise finance raises for teachers and public employees. He renewed a pledge to tap the surplus for about $2 billion worth of tax refunds. And he wants to make Georgia the electric vehicle capital of the world. So we didn't hear anything tremendously new. What we did hear is a continuation of a campaign trail message that he's not going to focus on the cocktail circuit. He's not going to focus on the pundits. And something we've heard over and over again on the trail, he railed against his critics, critics of his economic approach during the pandemic, specifically those at the Atlanta newspaper who questioned his approach to scaling back some of those restrictions on businesses early in the pandemic. 
Yes. We also, I think, heard from him, you know, to your point, not just a a modest approach, but just very, very consistent. I wrote a column once that was called just the same old Brian Kemp. He has been very, very consistent on this message, on this set of policies. And it also is what worked for him in his reelection. It is what powered him to that huge victory in the GOP primary and also to that really sizable victory over Stacey Abrams. So it's just another sort of step on this extremely disciplined, focused, forward momentum, I think you would have to call it, uh, for Brian Kemp. Um, Another piece of what we heard from Governor Kemp was something very similar to what we heard in 2019, which is promise to work for Georgians, whether they voted for him or not. That is a really different message to hear from Kemp that we're hearing from uh, Republicans in Washington. And what I think is so interesting is that he is really managing, although he's extremely conservative, he's also really carved himself off from that sort of chaos brand of the Republican Party in Washington to create his own sort of independent brand down here in Georgia as somebody who is just sort of dutifully doing the work, focused on the economy, focused on education, um, absolutely has passed a number of extremely conservative bills, especially on social issues. But he is still really creating this separate lane for himself among Republicans. And I think that is the lane where Republicans will obviously be the most successful. And that's where he is sort of leading on his own right now. There is It's not a very crowded lane. So for Kim to be able to be down here to post these economic wins, and then to at least rhetorically be promising to work on behalf of Democrats and Republicans, that's a big piece of why he got reelected. And so I think he's sticking with that brand and that approach for the years ahead. You know, to this really memorable moment of the inauguration where Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger swore in Governor Kemp after Governor Kemp, I guess, bestowed upon him the the great seal of Georgia again. And these were two men who Donald Trump not just wanted to be wanted to defeat, but put at the top of his target list. And there they were, you know, celebrating their election victories together. Patricia, I was also really closely following the Democratic response because you know, the, I guess one of the benefits to, to Republicans of Governor Kemp's agenda um, without, you know, that big, huge, big ticket item that, that everyone can either galvanize around or polarize against is that it's hard for Democrats to oppose giving teachers pay raises of $2,000 or of trying to make Georgia the mobility, electric vehicle mobility capital of the nation or any of the other incentives and initiatives he he put forward. I mean, the Democratic response was very muted. The Democratic Party of Georgia throughout most of the day didn't even have a, a formal response. Four years ago, they had one scathing press release after another. And Democrats I polled, many of them privately said, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it. A few publicly said, yeah, you know, they they, they welcome some of these initiatives, but they're worried about other issues, affordable housing, economic inequality, firearms laws, the other the things we heard so much about abortion uh, on the campaign trail, but still hard for them to come out loudly against Governor Kemp's proposals right here. Yes. Now, among the proposals that he laid out that I have heard some Democrats behind the scenes complaining about are his proposal for the property tax relief. He has a proposal to essentially help people meet the difference between last year's property tax bill and this year's property tax bill, which inevitably will be quite a bit higher because real estate values popped up so much during that real estate boom. He has a proposal to essentially cover that difference for most Georgians. He also wants to see the General Assembly 
push through another income tax rebate, maybe in the $500 range. Democrats I've talked to have said, listen, those are very expensive one-off efforts that are obviously popular with voters because it's money back in their pockets. But if you use that money to really go big in an area like healthcare or mental health, that would really make a big difference for the people who need it most. As it is, these would be across the board initiatives going to whomever, not just who needs it, but just whoever's going to get it. It's just statewide. Everybody will benefit from those. That's the kind of initiative that Kemp has taken before. It was very popular, obviously, but you know, I think he'll get some Democratic pushback, especially on um, the dollar amount and the, uh, the cost of those initiatives and other ways that it could have been spent. Well, let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluston, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only the host of this podcast, but we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, along with Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell. The Morning Jolt sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you, yes, you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts in your first month of unlimited digital access is less than a dollar. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, we want to also keep the topic on Kemp just because what we're about to talk about next was so uh, fascinating and surprising for a governor who, you know, not long ago had a rusty chainsaw as a mascot, had a pickup truck featured in TV commercials and railed against elitists and globalists and you name it. He is going to Davos for the economic forum, the most prestigious, or at least one of the most prestigious global economic summits uh, on the planet in one of the most exclusive resort towns in Switzerland the town of Davos, where he'll be joined by hundreds of billionaires, CEOs, movers and shakers, influential business executives, and dozens of heads of states of foreign countries. Uh, Governor Kemp will be joining a panel with a handful of high-profile Democrats about American policy, the midterm elections, and how it relates to foreign policy. But Patricia, you know, take the panel out of the equation. Just the fact that he's traveling about 4,700 miles away from Atlanta reminds us, A, he's not running for anything right now because he would never do this in the teeth of a re-election campaign. And B, we might be seeing a little bit of a different Brian Kemp post this election. He's freer to take travels, take trips like this one. Um, he's freer to go be a national surrogate for his allies around the country. I think we're going to see a very different brand of Brian Kemp this second term. 
Yes. So in short, Brian Kemp is going to Davos because he can. You know, uh, he will also be there along with Al Gore and John Kerry. And were he in a reelection battle right now, that would not play well in a and an ad from David Perdue. And you can sure bet that there would be an ad about, from David Perdue about that. But listen, all of that is behind him. And he has made the calculation, and I don't think it's wrong at all, that only reporters and Democrats are going to kind of really fixate on this trip. And uh, voters, first of all, aren't going to know about it. Uh, but the real reason he's going is because there will also be trade delegations from yeah. a number of countries and uh, in including South Korea. And if you look at where Georgia has had its biggest successes, and I mean biggest successes in terms of the new Hyundai plant going in at the mega site outside of Savannah, the SK Innovation plant in Commerce, the Q-Cells expansion that was just announced earlier this week and is going to be the largest investment in clean energy manufacturing in American history. All of those are South Korean companies. So there really is a strategic piece of this trip, although I just love the idea of Brian Kemp in Davos. Um, I looked up what was the recommended dress code for Davos, and it is refined European business semi-casual chic. And I would love to see how Brian Kemp interprets that particular dress code. Um, It's just such an un-Brian Kemp thing to do to show up at Davos. But there really is this very strategic piece of it um, in the back, not in the background, in the foreground. And I think it's just a reminder that while Kemp is not up for re-election, he is very focused on putting more wins on the board. And he may not be up for re-election here in Georgia, but starting to travel internationally, building his international alliances, um, that is the type of thing somebody might do if they have their eyes on uh, future public service with a broader mission. Yeah, and as you mentioned, this is a economic development angle as well, right? It was described to me as basically three trade trips, trade delegation trips wrapped into one when you add up Japan, South Korea, which as you mentioned has been a key economic development partner for Georgia, and then you add in Europe um, because there'll be scores of European officials at this meeting. Um, so yes, he'll, he'll get to rub shoulders with the elite, but he'll also get to pitch Georgia to many of these foreign delegates and and foreign business leaders. So we'll see if it yields any fruits, but it just basically took me completely by surprise because, again, this is the governor who not long ago boasted of being able to go hunt pythons with Florida's governor and and, and go go hunting in in Okefenokee and who's now going to be rubbing shoulders with the global elite. So look, you know, he he can do both things, but it's just not something that you would have imagined saying. There was one official um, who I overheard saying to another state official, see you in Switzerland next week. I never thought I'd say that. So that's... So I think even some of Kemp's uh, staffers are a little bit, um, I guess, not flabbergasted, but they're just looking at like, wow, <laughs> look, look where know, we've well, gotten to at this how, point. How, how things have changed. How things, how things have, changed. have changed. Yeah, you just can't imagine those black cowboy boots in the Swiss Alps, but indeed, that's where they're going. Uh, or you should say his uh, his Crocs because uh, as <laughs> he, 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 he likes Crocs. He, he likes to wear Crocs at home. Um, you can read oh, about no. all all in India. In the, I didn't know they made Crocs for men, like yeah. adult sized Crocs. This I is mean, new information, and it's extremely new information that Brian Kemp wears Crocs. I'm going to have to process that for a minute. It was a published fact in the book Flipped, which you can buy on Amazon oh, or at your you. local retailer. <laughs> 
Well, Patricia, now it is time for one of our favorite segments of the show. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline, which you can call anytime. Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Jenny B, our producer, there's usually a musical cue in right here, but... I think Shinny B's been, you know, he's been driving through part of this podcast, so we're not sure what's going on with him. I don't think we need to let people know that I've been driving and recording a podcast oh, at the same time. That's the beauty of this. You're, you're allowed to take that out. <laughs> you can take whatever you want. Shinny B, what happened to the music? There we go. We also like getting email questions, Twitter questions, all the like. And this week we have an email question from, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Logan Miglianti from Smyrna. And Logan's question is, what role do Democrats with a weakened caucus play in the state legislature? It's a really good question. Patricia, you want to take that first? So Democrats, I think, play an important but not a really powerful role in the state legislature. They certainly respond to Republican bills. They introduce their own bills. They certainly look to message against Republican initiatives that they disagree with. Um, Democrats also will join in Republican bills quite a bit, but it's all really relatively reactive to what Republicans are doing. Um, In some instances, uh, we could point to Mary Margaret Oliver, a Democrat from Decatur. They do play uh, very important policy roles. She is just such a deeply knowledgeable expert on healthcare policy, on some legal policies in particular, that uh, Democrats can really weigh in on these things. Also, when you talk about county delegations, those are very important coalitions. You'll look, you'll hear about the Cobb County delegation, the Fulton delegation. Um, those are bipartisan delegations, and Democrats play very important roles in their local delegations because a lot of the bills that come out of the legislature really are locally focused, and so um, they play uh, locally very important roles for the districts that they're representing. I agree, and uh, look, they also play an important role in hashing out these more divisive issues that need either two-thirds majority for constitutional amendments or issues where they don't break cleanly along party lines. And one issue we're particularly looking at this year is legalizing sports betting, legalizing gambling. Democrats hold a key block of votes um, that has held that up. Democrats in the past have, have insisted upon more needs-based scholarships for higher education programs. There are some other priorities. So we'll see where Democrats shake out in this vote. But look, of course, you know it, it's going to be tough for these new Republican leaders of both the state House and the state Senate to keep their caucuses together. We've seen, as we saw in the U.S. Capitol, a lot of no votes, a lot of you know conservatives, especially on the far right, voting no on many proposals. There, in the U.S. House, there's only a, a single-digit margin. Republicans here have a, have a little bit more of a margin, but votes that are really close, Democrats can play a huge role. Okay, Patricia, now it is time for our Who's Up and Who's Down segment. I always like to end on a good note so we can start with our who's down. Patricia, who's your who's down? My who's down is Kevin McCarthy because it does feel like the way he has set up his committees is really a recipe for disaster moving ahead. One of his key committee assignments so far has been George's Andrew Clyde, a huge budget hawk to the point I can't 
really imagine Andrew Clyde passing appropriations bills, but he's a member of that committee. Um, Putting those committees together, knowing there's a Democratic Senate on the other side to hash out these differences, it just feels like looming catastrophe, in my opinion. But he wanted to be speaker. He got his way. But it still feels like he's who's down for now. My loser for the week, I only say this half in jest, are all the employers in Georgia trying to compete for talented staffers. The theme of the eggs and issues breakfast was jobs, workforce development. It is going to be, and, and everyone sees this coming, but it's still going to be maybe the, one of the biggest crises, one of the biggest challenges of this decade for, for Georgia is training tens of thousands of high-skilled workers for all these jobs coming, as particularly in the green energy field. Georgia has an award-winning quick start program that is nationally renowned. I've written a lot about it. So have my colleagues at the AJC. But you know it, that program is going to get tested, and so is our higher education system, um, colleges, tech schools, because job after job deal after job deal, they're popping out these eye-popping numbers that a few years ago would have landed headlines for days in the AJC. And now it's kind of like, oh, another big deal, 2,500 jobs, another big deal, 5,000 jobs. I mean, left and right. And so it's going to put a strain on our workforce and a, a strain on our education system to prepare workers to work in all these, for the most part, not just high skill, but high paying jobs that will transform their communities. Patricia, who is your winner for the week? My winner for the week is John King, the state insurance commissioner, who on Thursday was sworn in for his first full term in office. And he is the first statewide Latino elected official. He also in this, you know, huge auditorium where there were, you know, every statewide official was getting sworn in, including Governor Kemp, who's very, very popular with that crowd. Um, John King got a standing ovation, just this massive, massive applause. He was born in Mexico, came to the United States with his family, and has really won over Republicans in the state as well as many Democrats. And so, you know, in a in a room full of politicians, uh, he got the biggest applause line. And uh, I think he's got to be who's up, who's up for now, because he had a really great day on Thursday. And Patricia, my winner for the week is the green energy industry. Uh, there was another, just as we alluded to earlier, is another big deal this week with Qcells deciding to spend $2.5 billion on a 2,500 job expansion in North Georgia. That's just, uh, you know, the latest in a long, uh, we call it a conga line of developments <laughs> in, in the AJC between really? Archer Aviation, uh, between Frayer Battery, between... Rivian and Hyundai, SK Battery, and all the electric mobility industry is responsible for 35 projects across the state that is accounting for $23 billion of investment and 28,000 new jobs. So this goes hand in hand with my loser. (laughs) The the folks who have to fill those jobs, the winner is the industry. As we mentioned, Governor Kemp wants Georgia to be recognized as the electric mobility capital of America. So the big W for this week for me goes to the green energy industry. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. 
Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,